This episode of The History Files is brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash historyfiles to start your free trial membership. Many, many years ago. Building of human rights. The guns at Malta evoke again the echoes. In June 1948, all road and rail communication. Some things just aren't easy to explain. The History Files. We bring history to you. back after a summer hiatus to the History Files show. We'd only planned to be off the air from the month of July, but crazy things just kept happening, and now it's September. Well, things are still kind of happening, but we thought we'd at least better make an attempt to get back in the saddle. So today's episode was recorded way back in June at the 2017 Brass Screw Confederacy Steampunk Festival in Port Townsend, Washington. The theme this time around was pirates, so you can take a wild guess at what this, the topic of our episode is. We had fun at the Brass Screw, as we always do, and as always, we had a great crowd. Because this is a live recording, the audio may not be perfect, but I've done my best to sweeten it in post, so without further ado, here's a little chat about everybody's favorite seagoing scoundrels, Pirates. Pirates. Welcome to episode 90 of The History Files. I'm Gordon Fry, and I'm joined as usual by Nancy Fry. Hello. And today we are at the Port Townsend, Washington Brass Screw Confederacy, their steampunk festival, and we are recording in front of a live audience. <laughs> so it, thank you very much for joining us, uh, both our live audience and our uh, audience at home. Uh, things are, as usual, the weather is strange around here. It's been kind of chilly and cloudy instead of hot and dry like it was but for a week or so. Today's going to be gorgeous because we're on the water and it never gets too hot in Port Townsend. So. This is true. Another yay. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and we don't have too much. You may hear uh, audience members arriving during this podcast because uh Everyone was out partying at the Hoot Nanny last night, so we're yes. we're uh, we've got we'll probably have people trickling in. So uh, if you hear any any shuffling zombie noises, that'll be more audience members showing up as we. Talk. Yes, I think our audience will be shocked to discover that there are two tens in the twenty four hour period. So anyway, <laughs> they're not here yet, but they're trickling in. So yeah. anyway, welcome aboard, everyone. Yeah. Well, this year the steam the brass screw steampunk festival theme was pirates pirates yes Arr. which is awesome because port townsend needs a pirate festival so maybe this is a dry run for that yes and so we thought well let's do a history files on pirates because pirates. why not Arr. and uh, so that's what we're doing today but before we get into that main topic we are going to talk a little bit about what uh things in media this is hollywood Sporting cast of thousands. What else came of my trip to the library? Romance, education, entertainment. I have been watching season two of Poldark. Anybody else watching Poldark or have watched it? 
It's really good. It's streaming on uh, uh, Amazon right now. And you, if you have Prime, it's part of your Prime membership. Uh, it stars Aiden Turner. You may remember him from Lord of the Rings fame as one of the dwarf brothers, Keely and Feely and Keely. And uh, if you're a fan of the uh, BBC series Being Human, which is a supernatural urban fantasy modern paranormal story, he plays the vampire character in that. And that was that was a good show. I'm really loving it. The the costumes are great. The production design's great. It's an of course it's a really good story. It has a story arc. It has a story arc. It has character arcs and a plot and everything. It's wow. kind of awesome. Really, really brilliant. It takes place for the uh, for the most part in Cornwall. A young man back from the uh, the wars in the Americas, uh, whose family wrote him off for dead, but he was not dead, and he comes back to find everything topsy turvy. And that's you know pretty much that's the beginning of season one, and uh, it's it's a good show. I highly recommend it. Also, we were talking as we were driving out here about what's a good book. That takes that deals with pirates, and uh, of course, the first one Gordon thought of was *On Stranger Tides* by Tim Powers, uh, which is a wonderful. If you want a fiction novel that deals with pirates, that's a good one. Um, it's much, much, much better than the *Pirates of the Caribbean* movie, which was based on it. Uh, that would be the fourth *Pirates of the Caribbean* movie, *On Stranger Tides*, which has about zero to do with the actual book they lifted sort of a character and they grabbed some mermaids and a few shreds of the plot and yeah but tim just, got paid a lot of money for it but so. tim got paid so he's happy yeah so yes um, he's like he says i don't care what they do with my stuff after they buy it from me they they can't affect the book yeah you know authors get that a lot aren't you mad about what they did with your stories like they didn't do anything to my story you can still go to the store and buy it here's a copy right here yes they can do you know they paid me so uh anyway it's a it's it's a good read if you haven't read it if your only knowledge of on stranger tides is the johnny depp movie then you haven't you don't know the story it's it's much more uh, sweeping. It's a long arc. It does have some supernatural elements in it, and it's got a lot of really nice pirate culture. Um, he did his research, and it's it's really really well done. There's also a couple other ones that are interesting. One is, and these are uh, not fiction. One is is an original. It's from like 1710 or something about like that. And if you've ever seen the um, woodcuts of like Blackbeard and uh, you know, what's his name, John Esquimalt, or what, what, I can't even think of all their names, but anyway. Thomas Tew. And Thomas Tew, uh, and uh, Captain Kidd. various guys hanging from the gibbet. Thus, that's from this book that was, you know, an 18th century book written by the author of um, Robinson Crusoe, I believe. Stevens? Stevenson? No, 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 no Robinson Crusoe. Oh, uh, Defoe. Defoe. I think uh, it's by Daniel Defoe. I sort of got interested in pirates and stuff. I'll, I believe I'll research that. that and get it in the notes. Yeah, I may be completely off base on that. But anyway, there's there's some nice original ones. And then, oddly enough, there was a Time Life book that you could probably find in any used bookstore because everybody bought the series, and then when their parents died, they got rid of them. Oh, um, the Nautical series. Yeah, the Nautical series. And that's a pretty darn good um, overview of pirates yeah that it's just called the pirates you the know. pirates like there's you know they've got one yeah. on the dreadnoughts, the dreadnoughts and one on you know the clipper ships and right there's and one it's just on, on the pirates. pirates and it's not bad it's it's actually got some pretty good stuff in there 
Yeah, that that in fact that particular book is when I was in high school. I remember our family had all those Time Life series, and that one on the pirates is where I first learned that real pirate ships weren't these giant, exactly. you know, three decks of guns behemoths. It's like no, no, no. Pirate ships were small and fast. They were little cutters and little sloops and. That'll, you know, you could man it with 15 guys because they needed to get in and get out and get hidden. You so. mean like Somali Zodiacs? Kind of like that. <laughs> which we huh. get to Who'd have thunk it? Wow. Yeah. Amazing how there's continuity here. Yeah. So those, those are some good books. As far as movies go, there are, again, a, there are a lot of bad pirate movies like The, the pirate, pirate Movie, movie. Oh. or Roman Polanski's Pirates. Visually stunning. The story is horrible. The Polanski one the is Polans- visually stunning. Yeah, but the Polanski <laughs> one, yeah. The, the pirate movie is not, uh, although the opening sequence is visually stunning, and then they go on that, and that has nothing to not, do with it. Yeah, if you're not familiar with that, the pirate movie is a terrible musical loosely based on the Pirates of Penzance, the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, and it stars Christy McNichol, and it's it was a vehicle, vehicle for her. <laughs> And it, I've seen the first like five minutes and then I wanted to toss my cookies. I couldn't stand it. It was really bad. But like Gordon says, the opening sequence under the credits, it's obviously taken from another movie. It's this awesome battle scene, naval battle with swashbuckling and real pirates and the cool. And it's, it's just awesome. And then you never see any of that stuff again. That's from a completely different movie that they just put under the credits. This great scene, this guy in a perfect Howard Pyle pirate outfit jumps up on a box on deck and he fires off this long barreled set of pistols and smoke rings come out of the pistols and it's just <laughs> oh man this is gonna be an awesome movie and it has nothing to yeah. do <laughs> with it it's... oh well talk about it... raising your expectations yes. don't do drugs people yeah <laughs> you really yeah seriously so there yeah there are plenty of examples of bad bad pirate movies in fact on movieing on a, a month or so ago we reviewed Yellowbeard. Which could have been a good movie. It has a good cast. A lot of Monty Python people in there. Uh, just really nice production design, actually, for kind of a cheeseball comedy pirate movie. But it, again, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Uh, it's it's not good. But there are some good ones. Basically, pick anything with Errol Flynn in or it. Or something from the 40s, like... Blackbeard the Pirate. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with history, but it's a great little movie. Is that one with Robert Newton? Robert Newton, R. Robert Newton. Robert Newton, <laughs> yes. And he's the one who came up with the whole R bit yep. for pirates. Because yep. I guess that's what they say in... in uh, I don't know. It, it's What is it? Is it a, is it a from like Cornish Bristol. accent? or I guess Bristol, a Bristol which accent? Close. He basically picked a countrified English accent, and and it, that just became the pirate accent because whenever you're casting a pirate, you cast Robert Newton. And in fact, if you've seen that old black and white Treasure Island, that's Robert Newton is yep. Long John Silver, and it that's same a same character. Yeah, plays the same guy. He basically plays the same guy. So yeah, there's a wonderful version of Treasure Island which we were talking about before we went on the air that Hallmark actually put out in the 80s sometime with Charlton Heston as Long John Silver and Christian Bale as Jim. Very young Christian Bale, little teenager boy. And that is really, really good. And the music is by the Chieftains, and it's just beautifully shot. Try finding it somewhere. You can't. It's For some reason, Hallmark is just sitting on it. There there are a few VHS copies tootling around somewhere, but, man, if you can find a copy, if you can find... Hopefully, they'll 
realize that they've got a hot property there someday and re-release it because it's really beautiful. It's it's a really good version of Treasure Island. But anyway, we could go on and on about the media, but I think we should just get on to talking about pirates. History lives again. Our main topic for today is pirates. Yay. Um, it's a it's actually a very very broad subject. We tend to think of pirates in the the classical golden age of piracy from about 1680 to 1720 or so, uh, which is where all the costuming comes from with the tricorn hats and the long waistcoats and these long-barreled pistols and cutlasses and whatnot. But in fact, piracy has a very old and, I don't know if you'd call it honorable, I guess an old and dishonorable history dating back a long, long ways. Is it the third oldest profession? The sea, after flint napping and something else. <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's basically highway robbery on water. And so as soon as people got boats, people figured out piracy. So we're talking pirates go way back. They go way back. Like how far back? Well, we know that the Greeks uh, were enthusiastic pirates uh, way back in the um, Mycenaean period. Uh Piracy was rife in the Aegean uh, because, well, that's what you did. Uh, merchant shipping. Merchant shipping. There's merchant ships, there's pirates. And in fact, um, the general rule of thumb was if you're bigger than the other guy, you're a pirate. If you're smaller than the other guy, you're a peaceful trader. And <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, piracy, you know. So it goes right back to the classical period. Absolutely. It absolutely goes to the classical uh, period. We have, uh, again, the Greeks were very enthusiastic pirates because most of the thing a lot of people don't know is that Greece, even in the classical period of, of Athens and Sparta, they weren't actually able to feed themselves uh, with the local locally grown produce. So most of the wheat, most of the bread they ate, the wheat was grown in what's now uh, Ukraine, even then, Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe, and it was shipped across the Black Sea through the Dardanelles, and they had to pay, basically pay uh, uh, protection money all the way. And once they got into the Aegean, well, they're still there. Uh, and there's a lot of wrecks that were, not all of them were caused by bad weather. <laughs> so, you know. No, it wasn't piracy. It's salvage. They were sinking. Right. And after Greece, we have the Roman the Empire. Roman, the Roman Empire. In fact, that was the thing. Pax Romana, or Pax Romana. Uh, one of the piece, pieces of peace that they had was the Roman navy suppressing piracy. And that's why the Mediterranean was a Roman lake, was that the Roman navy suppressed piracy. In fact, the famous story of, uh, of Julius Caesar in his youth, I think he was 17 or so, uh, he was traveling from point A to point B, and his boat, his ship was captured by pirates, and he was held for ransom. And he promised these fellows that when he was released, he was going to hunt them down and hang them all, which he did. <laughs> they laughed at him. They said, ah, you're not going to be able to do that. Ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, he was a, a fellow to contend with, since we still remember him today. So, again, piracy goes way, way back. Yeah, marching forward in history, we've got, uh, we'll, we'll come up to the, I guess, the Bronze Age, or no, later than the Iron Age, 
and we get into the age of rapacious Scandinavians. Oh yes, well that's that's much like that's yes, that's after the classical period, yeah. getting in past the dark mm -hmm. ages, and yeah. of course. And Ro Rome is leaving. Rome finally bails out of out of England, right? And goes home. They've had enough of sniffles in the winter time and tin mining, and so they leave. And now we've got marauding Vikings coming down from the north and picking on everybody in the first, UK. First, you have actually remod, or, uh, um, marauding Anglo-Saxons. Well, there's that too. <laughs> and then you have marauding Vikings. And the Vikings are nothing but pirates. When you're going on Viking, when you're going Viking, that's pretty much piracy. If you catch somebody at sea, it's piracy. If you actually land and invade somebody, then it's a raid. But the difference is pretty semantic. Um, they were very violent individuals, and they took what they wanted to from the people that had it. I'm sure that the uh, monks at Lindisfarne really couldn't have told you whether they were pirates or not because the result was pretty much identical. Yeah. And just in case anybody's confused, not everybody in Norway was a pirate. I mean, it was a Viking. It was basically you've got a limited amount of land and you've got families with multiple sons and the first son obviously inherits land and maybe a second son gets something and then you've got other children who need something to do and well also and, you have um, these the civil strife going on and yeah. there's a centralization of power under the crowns of you know sweden denmark and norway and the only way that you could gain uh notoriety or power is by paying your your men your liege men and by that point the only way to get any money was to go to england or france or wherever and go take it so or if you're in Sweden, then you go to Russia and take it. But the result is the same. You know, they may have been doing it for, quote, honorable, end quote, reasons, but they're still going and taking it from somebody else by force. Well, let's skip ahead to the 16th century, and let's get in here under Elizabeth I. Mm -hmm. And she had a, a contingent of individuals called the sea dogs and they Absolutely. they were not regular navy they were something else well it did it depended ah. <laughs> on occasion they were reg the regular navy such as uh during the uh, spanish armada they were all commissioned all their ships were commissioned as queen's ships however most of the time they were what were, were referred to as privateers meaning oh. a private warship uh and you have what is called a letter of mark and reprisal the difference between a, pri a pirate and a privateer is this, this piece of paper. And even in the Constitution of the United States of America, it mentions letters of mark and reprisal, which Congress can issue. In fact, states could issue these too. And the letter of mark and reprisal uh, states that you are only allowed to burn, sink, and destroy, or take, yeah, well, uh, take from your enemy from specific enemies. It has to be, they have to be under this flag. They have to be owned by this country for you to be able to attack it. If you attack somebody else's, like that's the problem that uh, Captain Kidd had. He was a little more flexible in his interpretations of who belonged to what or what belonged to who. And so he was hanged as a pirate. But if you stay within the guidelines, you're okay. And uh, these were issued as late as the American Civil War, these letters of mark and reprisal. So they go way back, but again, it is issued by a, uh, a recognized state authority, 
And since they're the ones with the power, they're the ones that are allowed to decide who is what. Speaking of people with power, Captain Kidd got screwed. Oh, absolutely he did. Because he legitimately was a privateer. Yes. And then there was a political change of command yes. kind of thing. And the people who came into power didn't like him or what he represented right. or who he stood for. And they basically railroaded him. Got railroaded, yes. Yeah, and and he was very unjust. He should not have been hanged as a pirate. Yes. But uh, anyway, back to the letters of Mark and Reprisal. Uh the, uh, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is you had to also post a bond in order to get one of these. You had to post a very large bond that was equal to approximately the cost of your ship. So that if you went out and you did, in fact, go on the account, in other words, you went into piracy, um, okay, well, they've still got this money they, uh, that you have now forfeit. So... Since you had to have investors to get that kind of money, your investors would not be happy with you unless you brought back lots and lots and lots and lots of money, like certain of Elizabeth's sea dogs actually did. She had a very famous sea dog, didn't she? A very famous one, a fellow by the name of Francis Drake. And he took off from England with, I believe it was five ships, uh, one of which was his little ship, the Pelican. And uh, they sailed, well, they tried to sail around um, uh, the Horn, Cape Horn. Uh, but their first stop in the New World was actually St. Augustine, or San Agustin, Florida, which they burned to the ground. So, yeah, the first thing that Francis Drake did on his trip was to burn down an American city, <laughs> now part of the United States. It was Spain at the time, and he had sort of a personal grudge against Spain. It's not known exactly if, at least I don't remember exactly, if he had a letter of mark at the time. Probably so, but it was one of those things that if he failed, what a nice fellow to do this for the letter of mark, you know, for us. Uh, he ended up sailing around, actually not around Cape Horn, he went through the Straits of Magellan where um, the other four ships, he either lost, they either went down with all hands, or a couple of them said, we're out of here, we're gone. One of which I believe was captured by the Spaniards who figured he wasn't actually going to go through. They, they had a Spanish fleet chasing him. Uh, they figured, oh, he's never going to make it through the Straits of Magellan. No, only one other guy has done that so far. Well, Drake was number two. And once he got to the Pacific Ocean, it was wide open. And he got to go take whoever he wanted. Uh, he flew a Spanish flag to amuse his opponents and took a number of ships to the point where he actually had to throw out the ballast at the bottom of his ship, the rock ballast, and replaced it with gold and silver. Wow. That's a lot. That's no one, a lot of no gold No wonder Elizabeth silver. liked him. Elizabeth liked him. He ended up renaming his ship the Golden Hind, uh, Hind being like a doe, uh, but he um, did that to appease one of his investors because he hanged the investor's main agent amongst them for, uh, for mutiny. Eh, minor details. But when he got back, he had lots and lots and lots and lots of money. One thing I want to point out that's kind of cool is that our mythology is Elizabeth, you know, when, when the Spanish ambassador demanded his head for piracy, El Drake, the dragon, instead of Drake, the duck, uh, it's much more romantic to call him a dragon. But anyway, he... Uh, the Spanish ambassador demanded this, his head, and Elizabeth went to Bristol to visit, and there's Drake. And she wasn't the one that pulled out his sword or demanded his sword and knighted him, 
Because guess what? A woman is not a knight, and only a knight can make a knight. She told her boyfriend at the time, this Duc d'Alençon, a Frenchman, said, knight him. When the Duc d'Alençon, of course, was already a knight, so he knighted him. So Drake was actually knighted by the Duc d'Alençon, a Frenchman, as opposed to by Elizabeth. Although Elizabeth said, do it. So anyway, there you have it. This week on Historical Mythbusters. <laughs> yes. Drake brought so much gold back, it more than pay, it paid off all the ships that were lost and captured, and like 10 times or something more. Because again, he had so much gold and silver in the hold that he didn't need any ballast. In fact, they got stuck on a reef in the Pacific, and they, had, they, they chose to throw a couple of cannons overboard rather than the gold and silver. So You can anyway. buy more cannons. Yeah, you can buy, get more cannons. Anyway. There's so, Drake. So as we get through the 16th century, we are getting dangerously close to the golden age of piracy. True, but I do want to mention oh. some other guys before oh, we get okay, into that. Sure. There's the Corsairs. Corsairs are somebody that aren't mentioned a lot. These are the North African pirates who were a real problem. Uh, I just recently read that something on the order of 2 million people were captured and enslaved by these people, by the Corsairs, throughout coastal Europe and Great Britain. In the course between the you know eighth century and the eighteenth century, well, that's a that's a thousand years. But still, they would do raids on fishing villages, capture everybody in the village, drag them back to North Africa, and sell them into slavery. Uh, this is one reason why in England, especially, um, where they did have some fairly strict firearms control laws for the interior. But if you lived on the seacoast, you could pack whatever you wanted. You could have gun, you know, pistols and muskets and swords and all that kind of stuff if you lived on the seacoast or on the Scottish border. Anyway, Scots and Corsairs, pretty similar sorts of people. Anyway, so moving on. Well, and that gives us that trope of, you know, rough and tumble coastal town, port towns with everybody walking around with cutlasses and pistols and whatnot. Because if that was commonality and... Mm -hmm. And like, in, like you say, in the interior, that was frowned upon to go right. about armed, if, if you were, especially if you were not a gentleman. Right, if you um, weren't a gentleman, exactly. Um, yeah, that'd be bad. So now, so here's, we've got this situation. We've got Corsairs, awful pirates from Africa. From the 16th century, they had yeah. the, the Barbarossa, these brothers the who were... Barbarossa brothers, yes, yes. Who were very famous. They had Barbarossa, they had red beards. And they were commissioned by the Sultan of Turkey, who was the, you know, claimed the title of Caliph as well. Um make war upon the unbelievers, and they did. So now let's slip into the golden age of piracy. When people say pirate, you do, you think of Edward Teach and Thomas Tew and William Kidd mm -hmm. and, and, and Bonnie. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, Teach. Yeah, uh, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, mm -hmm. um, all these marvelous Calico people. Jack. This came out of a period of extreme unrest in Europe. Uh, the, uh, the, the, well, from about, well, with the, the glorious revolution in England in 1688, um, the new king of England, who was invited by parliament to replace his uncle, uh, this a fellow William III, who uh, he and his wife Mary, thus William and College of William and Mary, they became the co-regents of, of England. Uh, and William, being the, um, the stadtholder of the Netherlands, brought England into a war with, uh, with France. 
And that started a, a second Hundred Years' War between England and France that lasted from 17, pardon me, 1689 until 1815. But that first period to about 1725, or 1715, pardon me, from about, say, 1690 to 1715, lots and lots of naval warfare going on. And England was not at the top. France was kicking their butts right and left. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons for the Bank of England being established was so that England could borrow money to establish a better navy. But a lot of the there was ups and downs, and there was wars, and then they would, you know, basically let everyone go. And there's all these sailors who they were men of warsmen. They didn't really know much other trade. What do you do? Well, we're still mad at the Spaniards and the French. Let's go take some stuff from them. And so they were swarming places like the Caribbean. And that's where you get all of these, um, the, the, the mythology of the pirates. Uh, and you have guys like Blackbeard, who actually, one of the places, they were raiding the Carolinas and New England. These guys weren't just in the Caribbean, because if you're a sailor man, it's not all that far to the English colonies. Uh, from the English colony of Jamaica to the English colony of, say, Massachusetts. And so you had guys like Thomas Tew, although he made his big hit in the Indian Ocean, coming and being the, you know, a favored uh, person by the governor of, I think it was Massachusetts, uh, stayed with his, in, in the, the, uh, the official residents and things like that regaled him with great stories of his operations in the uh, against Indian princes. So um, there was a lot of stuff going on, but it was due to all this unrest and these wars back and forth between England. Uh, sometimes they were allied with with the Dutch. Sometimes they were fighting them. Sometimes they. They were always fighting the French and always fighting the Spaniards, um, allied with the Portuguese. And there was a lot of this unrest, and so. When you have periods of unrest, you have a lot of guys that have mm, an interest in, in doing things their way, and they're trained at violence, and piracy is violence. So this is, so this is where the look, our tropey sort of look of the pirate gets codified. Yes. Because the fashions of the time were big full-skirted coats, long waistcoats, full-bottomed wigs, you know, knee breeches and buckled shoes. And, or bucket top boots. Or bucket top boots and, uh, you know, you name it. And uh, generally speaking, I believe men, the men's fashion at the time was clean-shaven. Well, it was changing. Were, yeah. In the 16th century, it was full beards. In the early 17th century, it was like a goatee and a mustache. Mm-hmm. By the late, seven, late 17th century, pardon me, uh, it was would be like a mustache and a very thin little strip. It was disappearing. So it was disappearing. By 1700 or so, most Englishmen were <clears throat> clean-shaven, and that would last until about 1840 or so. But you know, they might get a little bit of side whiskers, but definitely no facial hair, no and whiskers. We were talking about movies and media earlier and, and, fant- and fantasy pirate stuff. If you want to see that whole range of pirate fashion, oh, yes. just go ahead and get your DVD or your Blu-ray copy of Pirates of the Caribbean, the very first one, Curse of the Black Pearl. It's, it's, it's a wonderful movie. It's a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. It is not history. And one of the things that we both love and hate about it us too, is that they are all over the map with the fashions. 
It's it's awesome. Everything is in there. It's it's brilliant. You start with the governor, <laughs> oh, yeah. that the, Jonathan Price's character. Right, and he's in like 1680s yeah. clothing. This is Elizabeth's father. And then you have the bosun who is like 1810 and everything in between. So you got like 130, 150 years of fashion all crammed into the same boat, which is like, okay, but it does allow you to know which character is which. So, and it's... It's very theatrical. I mean, it's a... It's the costume design and the production design of Pirates of the Caribbean is so good. It is, it is, you know, unfortunately, because especially Jack Sparrow's design is so iconic and so instantly identifiable, you get, oh, I'm going to do pirate. I'm going to go to the Ren Fair just as a pirate. And they just dress as Jack Sparrow. It's like, no, no, no. Jack Sparrow is his own thing. That's like saying, I'm going to dress as a famous pulp character from the 40s. I'm going to dress like Superman. <laughs> okay, Superman is a very unique thing. That's not a regular person. He is unique. He's very unique. And, and, uh, it's, very, it's wonderful. It's a great, I love Jack Sparrow and I love his design, but he's not, a, you know, he's not a real thing. Of course, the true classical pirate look... It's based on this period stuff, but it would be the Howard Pyle paintings of the late 19th century. That's where we really f get our little brains wrapped around, um, you know, this is what a pirate's supposed to look like because of Howard Pyle. The red sash and the crazy facial hair. And the boots. I mean, most guys didn't wear boots on board ship. They wore shoes. But... That looks cool. Now, that might be what the captain wears because he's supposed, at least trying to be of a higher class. Oddly enough, okay, I'm wearing spurs. Why am I wearing spurs? You don't wear spurs on shipboard. Actually, even as late as the 19th century, Swedish officers, naval officers, were required to wear spurs. To show that they were officers. To show they're officers, oh, yes, because they are, come from the equestrian class. Therefore, you have spurs to show your rank. Anyway... So Silly, I guess, but that's it. Just judging by Gibbs, the bosun in Pirates of the Caribbean, that he's the top end of the fashion yeah. in, in those movies. Is that basically the end of the golden age of piracy? The basically Actually, Napoleonic Wars? I'd call it, yeah. I mean, that's kind of late for the golden mm -hmm. age. Yeah, that's Golden true. age is really like about 1725. It's okay. ending. Okay. You okay. know, with hanging Blackbeard and whatnot. Yeah. Or actually, they didn't hang him. They just cut him up. <laughs> but at any rate. Now, you were talking a little bit about the Corsairs and piracy mm -hmm. in the Mediterranean and whatnot and pirates from North Africa. That made put me in mind of another good movie. It's the Con uh, Old Ironsides. It's a silent film. Yes. It's about the USS Constitution fighting pirates in the Med. I mean, right. that's why she was built, right? Exactly. In fact, you can buy that film from the uh, USS Constitution Museum in uh, Charlestown, Massachusetts, part of Boston, at the uh, Charlestown Navy Yard. Uh, they've got a marvelous museum there. It's absolutely magnificent. And they actually have the original ship there, too, of course, the USS Constitution. But navies, the reason for navies, as I mentioned earlier with the Roman Navy, the reason for navies is to suppress piracy. The reason for the United States Navy's existence in the first place was piracy suppression. If you look at the, um, the wording in the Constitution of the United States, um, ar the Army has to have yearly, you have to look at the budget every year. The, con the Navy, on the other hand, gets these long, drawn-out um, assignments of money. 
navies are extraordinarily expensive. But also, they're less likely to, to perform coup d'etats. So, you know, you're not going to run a battleship up Pennsylvania Avenue and go take over Congress. Therefore, the Navy, they're the good guys. Um, and also, that's why Marines are, oops, that's why the Marine Corps is at 8th and I in Washington, D.C., is to keep the Army from marching up Pennsylvania Avenue because the Marines don't mind shooting soldiers. At any rate, the United States Navy uh, was first formed in the 1790s because of these corsairs in North Africa, the so-called um, Barbary pirates. And the first six ships of the United States Navy, the, the first six frigates being, was it Chesapeake, Constellation, uh, uh, Constitution, um, there's one I'm missing, um, the uh, uh, president in the United States, those were authorized uh, by Congress because we were in negotiations with these guys in North Africa who had been capturing American sailors and passengers on American flag ships. Prior to the American Revolution, we were under British flags, and the Barbary pirates were a little bit afraid to mess with the British flag because, because you know, the British would go in and, you know, shoot the snot out of their town if they did that. Um, during the Revolutionary War, we were protected by the French flag. Likewise, the Barbie pirates wouldn't mess with them. However, when we were firing, flying this brand new American flag, oh, all bets are off. We can do whatever we want. In fact, in 1800, when Thomas Jefferson became president of the United States, one-fifth of the entire federal budget was spent in, uh, in buying American captives back or giving or sending um, uh, bribe money to these pirates to keep them from doing that. A fifth a, of the budget. Yes, one fifth of the budget. Twenty percent of the United States federal budget was spent on these guys. So, so it they was were, they were a problem. They were a problem. So these ships were authorized, and the idea behind it was we would start building these ships, these pirates would hear about it, and then they'd stop their depredations, and then we could quit. We wouldn't have to spend the money on these ships. In fact, what happened was one of the few times Congress actually did something sensible was we did the negotiations with these pirates. They, heard, they knew that we were building a navy to come thump them, and they submitted to sort of reasonable demands. And Congress then continued to authorize their construction. So the first ones were uh, launched in 1797, the last in 1801, as the president was launched in 1801. And um, when, when uh, well, they were first used in our war against France, didn't know that we fought France, did you? It was the quasi-war in the Caribbean. And it was a war mostly against French privateers, almost pirates. But then in 1800, President Jefferson sent a squadron of the United States Navy to uh, put down these pirates in North Africa. And as under the, uh, the USS Constitution was the flagship, and one of the ships that went along was a, one that uh, the city of Philadelphia had donated. They'd built and donated to the United States Navy, the Philadelphia. Uh, so, yeah, the United States Navy basically owes its existence to pirates. Kind of <laughs> weird. And that brings us, well, we're going to skip a bunch of decades and eras and just finish off with pirates today. 
and uh, because there are still pirates. In fact, you mean pirates in eastern waters? <laughs> yeah, pirate, and and it also pulses. still in the Caribbean. Absolutely. I mean, every year yacht yachtsmen go missing in the Caribbean. Their people go on little. They they take their fancy boat down to the Caribbean to go island hopping, and, and they never come back. Yeah, they might find the boat stripped. Yeah, it happens every year. So mm -hmm. it's it's a problem. There are pirates there. There are, of course, still pirates in the um, in Indonesia. Uh, the you know Malay pirates. Uh, there was there's actually what uh, there's that great little Disney film, um, Swiss Family Robinson. There's Malay pirates. It's like ah, oh, this is so cool. Malay pirates. Nobody How ever shows Disney them. Disney makes all the good pirate movies. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, but and in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, we have a great story for you. You want to tell her? You want me to uh, tell her? You can if you'd like. <laughs> we have a, a good friend, Elizabeth Antis, uh Pigeon. I hope you're listening, Elizabeth. Uh, she was at a costume party one Halloween down in Vallejo, California, and. She and her then husband, who's since sadly passed away, he was an awesome character, went dressed as fabulous Howard Pyle pirates, kind of like what we're doing today. And they went to a, a local bar. They're having a costume dance party hall that they was yeah. having a costume party. And oh, she had to go powder her nose. So she goes off to the ladies' room and she's in there, you know, did her business and she's fixing her makeup or whatever. And this cute little Filipino gal comes up next to her and says, Oh, you look so good. What are you? She says, oh, I'm a pirate. She says, oh, You're a pirate? I have a cousin who's a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll bet you do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And in the Sulu Sea, there's still plenty of piracy going on and has been for millennia. We also, of course, hear about pirates reasonably frequency, uh, with reasonable frequency uh, off Somalia because Somalia is a failed state and that means that anybody can come in and fish out their waters and that's exactly what happens. These international companies send their trawlers in, they fish out the waters because Fail state can't protect them. These fishermen now have nothing better to do than go on the account and become pirates. And just like the pirates of old, they use small, fast little craft, like, like you know, zodiacs, to zip up to, um, to these big tankers and board them and hold them for ransom. Then you get more pi modern pirate movies like Cap was it Captain Phillips? Oh, yeah, Phillips. with Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. which was about a fairly recent pirate incident with Somali pirates. And it still happens uh, in the streets of, uh, the Straits of Malacca. Um, you have, again, Malay pirates who will take a tanker, and instead of it going to, say, you know, Tokyo or something, they send it off to some small little town in, you know, Vietnam or southern China or whatever. South and American um, uh uh, cargo ships that with the big um, absolutely uh, shipping the container, containers on container them. Container ships. Sometimes they'll get into a port in South America and they go to unload their containers and they'll see one or more containers. They go to offload them and they'll have a big hole cut out of the side and all the cargo's gone because somehow when they were approaching the continent, approaching land during the night, at some point the pirates came. They threw up their grappling hooks, came up the side, cut a hole in the container, took all the stuff out, and zipped away into the darkness. Nobody noticed. Yeah. So piracy is alive and well. Uh, they usually don't have you know pairs of flintlock pistols in their waist belt and carry cutlasses. They have stuff like I don't know Glocks and AKs, but um, a little more effective. Uzis. Yeah, but it's. It's still very much uh, a part of modern day life, just like it was then. So, um, 
We also have to mention what we're doing now. We have everybody who wants to play pirate. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite the original guys. They were a little stinky and a little bloodthirsty, and so we want to be more Disney-type. Yeah, somehow piracy has gotten romanticized, despite the fact that it's a nasty, bloodthirsty, horrible profession. Mm-hmm. But thanks to people like Robert Newton and, and, and Howard Pyle. Depp and Howard Pyle with his romantic paintings, it's become this romantic sort of... The, and Errol Flynn. It's, it's just become this romantic thing. And it's I mean, obviously the wardrobe's great. The costuming is great. So. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you consider that uh, in international law and virtually every country in the world that bothers to address it, piracy is punishable by hanging. Still. <laughs> Still. And everybody wants to play pirates. Yeah. It's, yeah. Let's go be murderers. This is so cool. Yeah. Rapacious robbers. Yes. Yeah. But there's something that has struck everyone. I guess what part of it is, is that was, especially in the golden age of piracy, there was the Brotherhood of the Sea. And this was a very, I mean, the pirates of, pirates of the Caribbean were just very egalitarian. And they would elect the captains. And, uh, of course, he had to be pretty good at what he was doing, but still, he'd be elected. And they shared the booty uh, fairly equally, and um, it, was, it was romantic. These guys actually weren't nearly as nasty as some of the earlier and later pirates. Uh, a lot of them did have a certain sense of justice. They were, you know, like, well, say, Jean Lafitte, okay? He was, he's famous for uh, being a Louisiana pirate that helped... Uh, Andrew Jackson defend New Orleans in the War of 1812. You know, when you have volunteers show up with their own cannons, it's kind of helpful. So, um, but he was kind of romantic and like, well, I never attack American ships. I wouldn't do that. I'm an American. We don't attack American ships. We only attack French or British or Spanish ships. Oh, well, that makes it okay, <laughs> you know, and it kind of does. He was a letter of Mark without going through all the details. So there it is. We're pretty much needing to wrap up so the next people can come in and do their thing, but does anybody have any questions before we go? Bless you. Yes, sir. You uh, talked about the navies usually being somebody who didn't overthrow the government so they were respected, but there was the Soviet Union. <laughs> This is true. Actually, both in the, the uh, in 1918, both, well, 17, it was the Russian sailors who mutinied, who actually started the Bolshevik Revolution. And in 1918, it was the German sailors who mutinied, which started the road to Germans, Germany's capitulation of World War I. You're right, absolutely right there. Now, they didn't march on you know, the government, but they mutinied and said, no, we're not fighting anymore. And that was, in fact, you're right, that was the catalyst that changed things forever. That's true. Anything else? All right. Well, we'd like to thank you for joining us here at uh, Brass Crew Confederacy in Port Townsend, Washington. Uh, and that will wrap up our... Yeah our history files thanks for listening for folks at home and thanks for coming everybody else here managed to get here after your wild partying last night uh, 
show notes for this episode can be found at sicon.fm slash THF90. Sicon is spelled C-S-I-C-O-N. The History Files is not possible without your support. We're especially grateful to our patrons who support us through Patreon. And another way to help us out is to find us on iTunes, give us a little review that really helps our discoverability or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, let's see um, we're taking a little break we, we were taking a little break in the month of June uh, just because life got a little crazy but we're getting back up and running so thanks for bearing with us while we had some life changes and uh, yeah there it is so thank you again for joining us for another exciting adventure in the history files <laughs> History Files is brought to you by Bad Cat Productions, a proud member of the SciCon Podcast Network. For show notes, more episodes, or to join the conversation on Slack, visit us at scicon.fm slash THF. We also invite you to consider supporting this and our other fine shows by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where a pledge of even $1 a month will help keep us on the air. Bad cat. Meow.